welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Oh my! Thank you, big voice in the sky. Goodness gracious, we've uh, we, we've got a, we got a lot to uh, talk about here. Um, the robbery week is in the books, but the the long extended weekend of news, both on and off the field, the coaching carousel, insanity uh, from this past weekend. You've come to the right place because Barton Simmons, right there, and I, Chip Patterson, we are here to put this in perspective. We sat down, Barton, on Monday morning. Um, you know, hoping that we would turn things around uh, quickly enough before Scott Strickland made a hire. Scott Strickland has made a hire. We'll get to that in a little bit. But I feel like right now, if we had sat down on Sunday at 3 p.m. to record a show, that would have been maybe uh, on fire within minutes, right? Yeah, yeah. that. that <laughs> yeah, you would have had to throw that one in the uh, incinerator. Um, I don't know if you can uh, withdraw veto a show similar to what we saw in Knoxville but that would that show would have had to gotten the veto okay we need to start with uh Greg Schiano in Tennessee but just just to sort of put this in perspective like how long ago does it seem that Miami lost to Pittsburgh oh man right I, this is I mean Sunday was insane and like, and it was it was like things kept on happening and truly, like as I sat down to think about what we we're going to talk about for this show, a cra- like a, a very important, like pretty crazy weekend of college football was like wasn't even really on my radar. No. I, I didn't even get. I didn't even think about it. Like it was just it was so it was in such a distant memory um, because this coaching stuff on Sunday was just. I mean, that was the craziest day I've ever seen in yeah. the coaching carousel. And I was I wanted to ask you that like this is um, you know one of the aspects like we we're, we're not crotchety we haven't been in this for decades but uh, I think that combined we have put together uh, a respectable resume enough to at least uh, get these microphones in front of us but I that is and I've covered uh, I've covered some some nutty coaching cycles that that was without a doubt no comparison the craziest individual day I've seen in the coaching cycle. I mean, yeah. And, and I think it's setting the tone for a, a crazy carousel. I mean, this, even this year, like I remember last year, given sort of some of the candidates that were out there, there were obvious power, a group of five candidates. Uh, it felt like that the carousel could really get moving. And it just never really did. It just, you know, a couple – the jobs came open, the jobs got filled, and that was it. Um, this year, it, it's, it felt like, hey, you know what, maybe before the season, hey, maybe Tennessee comes open. Um, yeah, UCLA probably won't even come open because of the buyout. Um, you know, what, what's, what does that happens in Nebraska? Like there was just a couple spots you sort of had your eye on, but it felt like we were a year away from a, a huge spin on the wheel. And man, that thing is spinning, and everything's coming open, and dominoes are about to start falling, and uh, it, it really is. I mean, yesterday, I think encapsulated what I think is about to be 
just a wild, wild three weeks as we get towards the the early national signing period. Because I think that's the new benchmark that the ads have. Right, is is getting these hires and fires taken care of in a in a timely fashion to get your your program prepared for an early signing period. Uh, that was I was about to come to you. So the, you would say in terms of the timeline, because when Mac Brown was fired, the Texas job was open for a month. And I saw some Texas writers saying that, you know, you, there's no way in today's climate that you could imagine uh, a school like Texas sitting on its hands from the end of the season until early January, and we probably won't see it again. And I was going to ask you, you think the early signing period is probably the the change in the calculus right now? I think it's a huge factor. Yeah. I, I wonder how, if that was a big part of why Tennessee went ahead and, and, and got this thing locked up or tried to get this thing locked up on Sunday despite maybe not having done the due diligence necessary. So, yeah, I, I think that this is um, the early signing period – Maybe more so than this impact on recruiting. I, I think it's impacting coaching hires probably more so. All right. that um, So the morning started with Todd Graham out at Arizona State. Uh, we had heard that Todd Graham was even coaching the Territorial Cup, expecting that it might be his last. So Arizona State moves on Todd Graham. Uh, I believe the next in line uh, in terms of chronologically was the initial report that Tennessee was reaching a deal of understanding with Ohio State defensive coordinator Greg Schiano. More on that in a little bit. Then Florida follows with the announcement of Dan Mullen uh, is beginning to reach an agreement. Uh, that is later confirmed by a couple hours. Texas A&M finally moves on Kevin Sumlin. Um, and then Ole Miss says that they're going to roll with Matt Luke. And then, oh boy... The Greg Schiano Tennessee deal falls through. So we got to start right yeah. there. This is, I look at this one and um, I think that we have seen uh, a lot of different ways to attack this because certainly the deal fell through because of the reaction from Tennessee fans. And I have never seen a meltdown over a hire quite like this one. And it happened to me on two fronts. And I, I want to know whether whether you think that, like, because you said the, the due diligence, and that is certainly uh, part of the Tennessee fans, as they even spray-painted on the rock in Knoxville, was a reference to the fact that Mike McQuarrie, under oath in a testimony, said that he knew or he believed that Greg Schiano was aware of an allegation against Jerry Sandusky in the Penn State child sex abuse scandal. Um. There is Mike also McQuarrie said that Tom Bradley said okay, that yeah. Greg Schiano told him that he had seen something inappropriate. Uh, what in a shower? Now? Yeah, yeah. Which and and that was decades you know, ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, but at the same time, I saw the initial reaction and like. I shot a video for Greg Schiano is going to Tennessee. Like I, I had to put together uh, the initial aggregation post of uh, the USA Today and ESPN reports. Um, I, the initial reaction didn't mention that Barton, and so I kind of feel like we're getting hit on two sides of this, which is uh, the the 
very like absolutely like in t- in today's climate that should absolutely be a concern and that's where like you mentioned athletic director john curry you kind of got to take this into consideration you got to know that this might be a part of it um where i mean where do you stand on the tennessee fan reaction to the shiano news yes i mean so much to to, to break down here so i've i actually floated fairly early in the day i don't know maybe around noon midday um when Shiano's name was was yet it hadn't yet been reported that Shiano was like a done deal. It was just a name that was clearly like heavily associated with the search. Uh, one of the guys that they were pursuing or looking at, and I honestly a a genuine, authentic, like earnest tweet. I I tweeted out, "What's the deal with with all the Tennessee uh, disappointment in the in the Shiano name?" Uh, the guy was a great coach at Rutgers. Um, I, I was I was genuinely curious. Like I wanted to get the reaction, figure out why Tennessee fans didn't like it because I didn't I didn't really understand it. You to probably it have sense. a lot of Tennessee fans who follow you. It's a good like it is a you are a good person to take the temperature of the Tennessee fans. Right, and I got absolutely bombarded, like deluged with um pretty passionate responses on two fronts. One that he's not a good coach, or that he's like an overrated coach, or he's you know didn't. One game over 500 records, that kind of stuff, uh, and then probably the other, maybe a maybe, I don't know, 40, 30 percent of it, 40 percent of it was, uh, he's a he's a covers covers up child rape, you know, like just hardcore, like we're not we're not into this guy that he's he's got um, ties the, to the Sandusky scandal and 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 i'll be honest with you chip i don't know if you did it or not I, I didn't know that like i didn't that washington post story which as far as i can tell is the only thing out there on on uh shiano's ties came out in july of 2016 you know the 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 sandusky story was well in my rearview mirror at that point I, I just i don't know that i ever realized that shiano was implicated at all in this scandal um and so that was up front, I think, what a lot of people um, at least claimed was their issue. I think my – the way I approach this is I, I think that it's, it is a little bit – I think it's dangerous to um, disqualify Greg Schiano based on what is very flimsy – hearsay of something that he you know allegedly claimed to have seen uh 30 years ago or whatever it was um you know i think that it's it you know that greg Schiano is 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 taking a lot of heat right now for something that could be explicitly false yeah i i I think that if uh i go back to the testimony and i go back to the way that everything was litigated uh i mean people uh you know the university president the athletic director like like jail time has been served yeah um but tom bradley still coaching uh you know like greg shiano is still a defensive coordinator i just i just think that if you're uh if if it was something that the prosecution in the case did not feel like it had the ability to pursue. And if it is something that Ohio State University and Urban Meyer felt like was not a concern to bring him back, 
then from a uh from like greg shiano again not public perception but just like within the industry in terms of the hiring and firing of employees then i i tend to think that the the connection here is is definitely more by association and if that's the case then there's uh you know decades of penn state players graduate assistants and assistants who unfortunately are going to have to deal with you know how did you know when did you know and like a you know like a lot of um very unfortunate sad and somewhat you know for for a college football fan depressing scandals within college sports you know those questions and those answers are often hard to come by but i from an employee employment perspective if ohio state felt like there was no reason to be concerned and then from the you know legal perspective if greg Schiano outside of again like you mentioned i'm it was mike McQuery said tom bradley said that yeah. greg Schiano might have seen something like that is not enough for me which as, was which was subsequently um denied by shiano and bradley yeah i so it, i, I, I kind of have a trouble making that my like big mark against shiano right and and i will also say this so i also think you know you have to assume that john curry and the athletic department did their due diligence and were comfortable with what was in that background to feel like it was and and I, you know, Dan Wetzel wrote a great piece, and and I think, sort of, and, and he covers um, you know legal issues regularly, and 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 he kind of broke down why there's there's plenty of reason to think that this was not a um, serious or not not serious, but a, a a damning claim, and but but beyond that, like look. You think John Curry did his due diligence? You, you know, you'd expect that that's something that that's you know, if your AD is comfortable with it, you should be comfortable with it. But I'm not going to die on that hill. Like I, all that said, like I'm okay with Tennessee fans saying, you know what, any hit of the Sandusky residue is too much to stomach, and we don't want to be associated with that. And and I actually, I can live with that. I can I can live with with administrators being taking that approach i can live with um boosters taking that approach i can live with fans taking that approach the the, the area where i actually am, am, have a little concern is that i want to make sure that these people you know that the fans that are taking that approach understand what their what their position is understand the footing they're standing on um you know painting on a rock that's uh Shiano protects child rapists. Like that's that's all very speculative. And if you're going to say that he's that you just you don't want any eight degrees of separation from that situation, then fine. But but understand that's a personal you know, attack. Your approach. That yeah. that is a personal attack. Um, and and if I'm Greg Shiano, I totally get like. And that's the other thing is like from Greg Shiano and the John Curry standpoint. Um, this is an interesting. This is an interesting part because you think 20 years ago, you know, these coaching hires are made, then there's the press conference and yeah, maybe like the radio call-in shows start, you know, blow the phone lines start exploding, maybe the 
you know, on the the letters come in, but there is no time and has been no time in the college football coaching carousel that fans have been able to make their voices known instantly, that they've been able to rally together with the speed that they were protesting on campus within like an hour of a memorandum of understanding being signed in Columbus between John Curry and Greg Schiano. Like this is uh, something that is brand new. Like this is patient zero for how fans can make their voice heard in a coaching cycle. And I think there is like there's how how big the percentage of this base there is, um, we'll never know. But I think there is a percentage of people that that latched on to the Washington Post headline and latched on to the Sandusky um, you know connection and said, "This is my excuse for not wanting a guy that isn't John Gruden." And, and I I will I, say I, I think that some of it too is. Uh, Greg Schiano is like his time with the Bucks was bad, his, right? And, and, and that, that's that's that, absolutely. And and he was a, a supposedly a um, he's just kind of a miserable guy as as far as the way he treats people, the way you know. I know like he had a bad reputation for NFL scouts and coaches visiting the the program at Rutgers. Um, he would treat treat them poorly. He's the type of guy that rips into coaches. He's you know he had. He, he left Tampa Bay in a freaking blaze of glory. Um, so I think all that. Like that's what I, I, cause I'm with it. you. Like, I think it is, uh, I think it is the fact that when they pulled up his Wikipedia page at Rutgers, he was a game above 500. I think that the fact that he lost more than he won in the NFL and, <laughs> and this is my favorite wrinkle. Yeah. Oh, like, why don't you want Greg Schiano? is like, well, Butch Jones blew him out when he was at Cincinnati. Yeah. Like, there are are, uh, reasons why you, as a Tennessee fan, might be uninspired by the hire of Greg Schiano and not want to consider the challenges he had at Rutgers or some of the player development that he's had as a defensive coordinator at Ohio State. But again, I'm with you. I think there is a segment of the fan base that took their unhappiness with um, that aspect of it, but then also saw the Sandusky as a way to just throw like a bottle of spray paint into the bonfire. Yeah, but I'll be clear. Like again, I hey, if you don't want this guy, I get it, and it's it's understandable. Just just make sure it's for the right reason, and make sure you're educated on why you don't want him. And and if you're still not comfortable with it, then that's fine. I I actually believe on the football side, he it was a great hire. Like football alone. Purely football, self-contained football, it's a good hire because he is all the things that Butch Jones wasn't. I, I know they are on the surface seen to be similar, but he's a ultimate disciplinarian, which is which Butch Jones was just – he was – it was a madhouse. Like he had no discipline in that program. Um, you know, he is a – you cannot argue with his coaching chops. Like he is a guy that can coach football, whereas Butch Jones was wasn't. Derek Dooley wasn't. Um, you know, the you're comfortable with the product on the field, um, and you know you're gonna you know the program is gonna be like run effectively because you know he's got that CEO ability with with what he did at at Rutgers, his experience in the NFL, negative or not, and and you don't you don't even use the NFL wins and losses against him because who hadn't. You know, Steve Spurrier couldn't win in the NFL. You know, Nick Saban didn't win very much in the NFL. Pete Carroll 
didn't win in the NFL his first time around. Like that, that's that's not a, a reason to to exclude a, a college football coaching hire. So I think on just that side of it, and 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 I think it's also telling that you know Rutgers fans, not Ruck, yeah, Rutgers fans, Rutgers media, people that are around that program, almost unanimously like. Praise him as a coach, bro. Eric, and, and that, Eric Legrand. Eric Legrand has been out here. Like, what are you? What are you going to say to Eric Legrand? You know, uh, and that's that's a great. Like, and Eric Legrand is a great example too. Like, everybody works in this gray area. You're not all the way good. You're not all the way bad. Shiano had plenty of bad stuff. You can you can throw at the wall, but he also had Rutgers. Um, you know, they set records for academic achievement under him. Uh, Eric Legrand, you know, he clearly was uh, handled that situation perfectly, and it has has built up trust with Eric Legrand for the rest of his life. Like, yeah, like that's the thing is he's Legrand's been out here. The NJ.com's uh, lead sports columnist, you know, has a I mean, as you might expect, a very pro Shiano uh, column with a lot of quotes from Legrand, who's been very willing to talk to anybody in this situation and take Shiano's back. Like, I don't, I don't know what you're going to say to him. Like you don't yeah. know Shiano like he does. Uh, it's, I, I feel bad because I don't, I, I wonder how, like, I feel like this is almost like an NCAA show cause penalty. Like this happened. And now I'm wondering if he's just going to be a defensive coordinator for the rest of his career. Yeah. I don't know how, like, I don't know how he, where he goes from here does he have to sort of start taking on the the that one accusation head on now like um and and really address it or is this just truly um a unique fan base that was not equipped to to take to accept him and and that you know elsewhere he maybe he finds a little more um a little more luck i I don't know I, i i i think my other big takeaway from this is right or wrong. John Curry screwed up here. Mm-hmm. Like this, this John Curry comes out this looking horrible. And and even if you are gonna take the position that the Tennessee fan base was just wrong, that this was just overstepping their bounds, and the boosters and the and the freaking congressman Chip, there was there was United States congressman. That like multiple that were getting on the train here and saying that this wasn't acceptable at the University of Tennessee, um, for him to have misjudged the reaction that badly, for him to have, and I think he's the type of guy that wants to keep things close to the vest. I'm, I'm sure he probably wanted this hire to be leak free and probably didn't seek as much feedback as maybe some ads otherwise would. Uh, Man, that backfired. And like, regardless of how you feel about the reaction, uh, John Curry should have seen it coming. John Curry should have uh, either either just cut off the the the, um, the talks before all this went down, uh, or he should have floated this earlier to make sure that they could find a way to to soften this blow. But um, this is a bad look for John Curry and. and and his first hire in, a, in an athletic department that's already totally dysfunctional, uh, you got to wonder how much uh, rope he has at this point. Like, well, it's it's a mess. Well, I think he saved himself by not trying to ram it through. Like, yeah. like wasn't there a point, 
yesterday in the insanity. Like before it, was it a fin- press copper scheduled. Yeah, I mean, like before it fi- like we finally started hearing that they were exploring ways to back out of the talks, which I think was around dinner time, you know, like six or seven o'clock Eastern. Um, I, I, I was sitting here. I was like, well, man, like this is just set up for failure from the get. You know, like if if this goes through, like if he just tries to ram this through, this is going to get both head coach and athletic director fired in two years. Yep. I just so. I, I think that Curry has a lot of pressure on him now with what's next, but there's almost like th- this is the time when I think you go for T Martin. I, I was thinking that as well. I mean, I don't know if, yes, something like that. Like you have to, you have to go with someone in the family almost at this point, just yeah. to bring the family together. And and maybe it's maybe it's Cutcliffe. Maybe it's I think this I think the fan base would finally be probably okay with Cutcliffe at this point. Um, Dave Clawson. Shoot, <laughs> I think you're forgetting what that one year as offensive coordinator looked like. It wasn't good. <laughs> That's the one guy. Like the funny thing is, like he'd be a perfect hire. But because but of this fan, fan base. base would not accept him <laughs> because of that one year as an offensive coordinator. The only year in Dave Clawson's tenure where uh, uh, anywhere where he hadn't been successful. And probably if he had stayed just like Dave Clawson does, he would have had a little bit better offense the next year, a little bit better offense the third year. And year four, they would have had the best offense in the country. That's the way Dave Clawson he, works. He, all right, so all the, all the tomatoes have been thrown. And like I see Curry peeking out from behind the curtain. He's like, okay, okay, no Shiano. Clawson? No! <laughs> I this all right. So, do you think right now that it is possible for Tennessee to make a hire that will field a team that can be an eight-win team in 2018? Uh, yeah, I think so. I don't know. Eight wins. They can make a. I think they can be a. Yeah, they're close. I think it's possible. I think that kind of season's possible. I don't think it's likely. I think it's. I think it's unlikely. Um, but I don't think that's the goal. I think the goal is to, to hire a coach to get them to six or seven. Um, and then seven and or eight. Seven or eight, and then just get you know get somebody that can. You don't need a quick fix. You need a long term solution. Um, and it's it's going to be fascinating right now where they go from here because you know you've you've missed your your top three candidates um the third one being a uh, you know a colossal failure uh all and right now, so hold on can we review there that's chip kelly matt campbell and greg shiana uh and um why am i blanking i feel like there's another one in there oh yeah they made a play for mullen oh mullen yeah mullen yeah yeah, the yeah. Last. yeah um and, you know, that's assuming we're not talking about Gruden. Um, <laughs> we're not talking about Gruden. So, yeah, so they've, they've – I mean, where do you go? What coach is going to be comfortable stepping into this pretty toxic environment? And, you know, I, I don't know. Like, it could, they could go anywhere. And, and in some ways, maybe this is great. Maybe, like, hey, anything's – as long as it's not Shiano, we'll get behind them. Like, it's, that's what I'm wondering, fan, yeah. The, 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 like, the kind of the balls in the Tennessee fan base is court now. Like, all right, you guys – y'all – Y'all burned your veto card, you know. You you, you uh, now like you can't you can't sort of get the pitchforks and torches out for the next hire. You just can't because then you just look like a fan base that can never be satisfied. 
So you almost have to get fully behind whoever the next hire is. And uh, so, you know, I, I wonder if there's some more flexibility now to just, all right, let's, hey, um, they've, 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 they've made their move. Now, I, now I've got the freedom to kind of go where I want. Um, so we'll, we'll, it's going to be fascinating. And I'll tell you what, before we move on from this point, too, like I, I found it interesting. Like this isn't unprecedented. Uh, in, in 2011, I think it was, um, Rick Neuheisel, actually, I'd love to talk to him about this, get the behind-the-scenes story. But they were, they were hiring a defensive coordinator at UCLA, and they hired Rocky Sito, who was at the time an assistant coach for the Seahawks under Pete Carroll. He had been an assistant at UCLA, but, or at USC, sorry, under Pete Carroll. Had never been a defensive coordinator, had just been sort of uh, Pete Carroll's right-hand man on defense. Uh, but didn't wasn't a uh, didn't have a great resume. wasn't a big title guy, but was just a guy that knew defense. And UCLA hired him. Verbal agreement. Cito posted on Facebook, cited to be heading to to US to UCLA, and the fan base got a hold of it and went bananas. And didn't like the connection with with USC. Didn't like the connection with Carroll, who was just coming off of um, you know penalties at USC. And basically, again, vetoed this hire, and they ended up going with, uh, you know, they pulled the offer the next morning, ended up going with uh, Joe Tracy from the UFL, of all places. Wow. And and that was a disaster. And so it's just like, this is, I wonder if this is the last time, because this wasn't the first time we've seen this happen. I wonder if the, if, if this becomes more um, prevalent, where fan bases get on Twitter and just preempt a hire they're not comfortable with. I, I mean, it's, uh, that's a, that's where, like you said, a leak could have prevented this. Yeah. You got, you got to leak this out just to take the temperature of the fan base. Thank goodness. They leaked it out, you know, before signing I mean, a contract yeah, before, before trotting it out there to the press conference. Goodness gracious. Um, all right. Wow. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to say patient zero. Like that's patient zero. Rocky Cito is patient zero. And I do not, I do not think that this is the last time that social media turns uh, for a college football coaching hire. Um, Dan Mullen at Florida almost seems unspectacular. Not that it's not a great hire and not that Florida cannot win championships with Dan Mullen, but unspectacular in that the spectacle that unfolded on Sunday, Dan Mullen was the most ho-hum of the events. Like Florida hiring its next head football coach is top billing number one news story most days of the year, but it, it felt like the third most important or at least the third most uh, the third most entertaining, shocking, buzzworthy event of the day. Unbelievable, right? Like he barely even noticed it. It was yeah. like a, you know, a drop in the ocean. But I thought it was – I'd like to go back to the Chip Kelly hire UCLA because like what a domino that was. Right, okay. So, right? yeah, like, yeah. Chip Kelly was was basically had an agreement to go to Florida. He UCLA fires Jim Mora. Obviously, you know right away they're going to be a factor. UCLA makes a ton of sense for Chip Kelly, and it's it's the perfect place for him. Ultimately, he goes there. Right. So Florida loses their man. Uh, Florida they, was on the plane to New Hampshire meeting with Chip Kelly. You know, this is if we offer a job, this is what it looks like, and. 
Chip Kelly, if you offer me the job, this is what I'd like. Because remember, no jobs are ever offered and turned down. Jobs are right. only offered when the deals are signed. But unless you're Greg Schiano, <laughs> <Right. laughs> that, that job was offered. We can be we can be on the record there. Yeah. Um, so they uh, they make that move to get Chip Kelly. They even leak. Remember, uh, going into the weekend, they said. All right, Chip, if you don't let us know, you know, you met with us on Sunday, you met with UCLA on Monday or Tuesday, if you don't give us an answer by Thanksgiving, then we're going to start uh, talking to other candidates. We're not talking to anybody else. And uh, and Chip Kelly chose UCLA over Florida. Yeah, and it makes sense. It's, it's just it's a better fit for him um, environmentally. He's familiar with the Pac-12. He's got a quarterback situation that fits better in his offense. I just think he can get it going quicker. Um, it just it makes all the sense in the world. You, Florida got screwed by Jim Moore getting fired. Had he not been fired, Florida would have had Chip Kelly. And then, more than likely, I don't know if it's more than likely, but but Tennessee then may, very well may have avoided all this and hired Dan Mullen. Yeah. If Chip Kelly, no, if Jim Mora is still the head coach here on November 27th, then Chip Kelly goes to Florida, Dan Mullen goes to Tennessee, and the Greg Schiano debacle never happens. Right. So as it, as it played, Kelly UCLA, Florida goes. Uh, For, Florida know. also, Scott Frost turns down. Right. So Frost turns down Florida. Yeah. Which means that. Nebraska, like that's yeah, great for, sure. for college football. I hope so. I mean, I hope that's that's what happens. But um, you know, so so Frost potentially to Nebraska, Mullen to Florida. That's Shiana. by the way, I think that's just waiting for the American Athletic Conference championship game. You know, because Nebraska is not making any moves or or causing any any waves right now. Right. And Scott Frost is, you know, there's no other school that is leaking out that they're chasing Scott Frost because. No one wants to get their fan base excited about a coach they're not going to get. Like I feel very comfortable, based on reading the tea leaves and the order of events here, that Scott Frost, as as Dennis Dodd even said on this podcast back in the middle of the season, you know that Scott Frost had already kind of just said if if Nebraska comes calling, he's ready to go. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so then Mullen to Florida, and I think, I mean that's a. It's a good for hire. some reason, yeah. For some reason, that hire isn't like lauded as like some home run hire. But I think it, I think it's pretty close. Like I think that's a. I mean, you get a guy that's a a, a good coach. Like he's he's proven in all the areas that Florida has missed on a proven coach. Like he's he can he can develop quarterbacks and evaluate quarterbacks, which is what they've been missing since Urban Meyer left. He he's an in game coach or uh, coach that can you know, is competent. Um, he, he can recruit, um, you know, he's coached at Florida before he knows the expectations. Like, I don't know I, I, if you're Florida. Yeah. I guess you like the pie in the sky, Chip Kelly and the upside there, maybe even the upside at, with Scott Frost. But I, I don't know that you, there's any way to be disappointed in this damn mullet hire. I think it's a great hire. And I think Florida's back. I think it's like, just like that, snap of the fingers. I think Florida's back. Yeah, dude. Dan Mullen leading Florida, Kirby Smart leading Georgia. We are about to buckle in for five to six years minimum of those two teams having some epic battles for the SEC East, which puts all the more pressure on Tennessee. a school like Tennessee. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, you better get right because these other schools have. You know, you can 
you can you can feel confident in who they've got running the show. So Dan Mullen needs to find a quarterback, but I look elsewhere on that roster, and we said it before, whether it was with Chip Kelly or Scott Frost, but I, I think that you can even say with Dan Mullen, there's enough skill position talent to think that he can come in, get his system in place, and very quickly we can start seeing 30s on the scoreboard again in the swamp. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know who the quarterback's going to be. That, that's the, the question is, how, you know, who's he going to develop? And there's not really a quarter. I mean, he's getting the, he's got a true freshman coming in that's better than anybody on the roster. Matt Corral. Uh, Matt Corral. And uh, how quickly can he get Matt Corral ready? I don't know. How quickly can he play him and not have the, the, the roster hemorrhage four other quarterbacks? Um, but he's going to be okay in the future. So maybe this is Felipe Franks' year next year. Uh, you know, I think that, that Mullen's more equipped to, to give him some success opportunities than the other coaches they've had. But, yeah, they've got and, – and he's he's got – Juco inroads, unlike most coaches. So he could probably plug some holes on the offensive line or defensive line and find some guys to get ready to play right away. Um, you know, I don't think they win an SEC championship next year, but they're going to be back to, you know, eight wins plus. And and I think they're going to be, I think they're going to be a, 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 you know, a, a good team again quickly. Felipe is Felipe Franks broken beyond repair? Man, I don't know, dude. He's 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 hard to watch. He's hard to watch. Um, <laughs> but hey, he hadn't developed. I mean, he's still talented. He's still got an eighty-yard arm, and he's still big and strong and pretty athletic. And and um, man, just maybe someone could just if 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 Dan Mullen. I know he's not necessarily the type of quarterback Dan Mullen usually has, but I am interested in seeing. Hey, maybe Dan Mullen can just get this guy right because I think he. You can't deny that he's got talent. Right. Uh, he just looks so. I mean, because you're right. He he just looks um, unprepared. Right, when he's out there right. most of the time. Yeah, I think that's a great way of putting it. And he just, you know, and 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 there's you you know the confidence is just shot to hell. And if if he can just find a way to get confident again, then I think that could that could do wonders. When you're looking around for tickets to sporting events and concerts, uh, it can be complicated. There's a, a crazy calculus between you know the seat that you have, the dollar value that the, it's available for, and you're trying to figure out how to get the best bang for your buck. Uh, nobody, no one makes it easier than SeatGeek. I've got the SeatGeek app on my phone, and its grade for every single ticket makes things really easy for me to understand where I'm going to be able to see the best action, best bang for my buck. And so you, as a listener of the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast, can get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase by downloading that SeatGeek app. Again, it's very, very easy to use. Enter promo code 24-7 today. Promo code 247 for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. See, it saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find those amazing deals. So instead of you having to flip between them all, you can just be able to go find them. Like I, I've told you before, the, I'm always looking for uh, the best deals to pick up some last-minute Carolina Hurricanes tickets, and it's the way that I do it because I'm always looking for those 91s, baby, those 92s. I'm looking for the best value for my buck, and SeatGeek is always able to do it, and I'm able to purchase with confidence because every purchase on SeatGeek is fully guaranteed. So make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket from sports to concerts to comedy to 
theater. And again, $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase if you download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code 24-7 today. It's promo code 24-7 for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. The uh, Texas A&M officially making a move on Kevin Sumlin. Before we get to Sumlin's future, we got to talk about Texas A&M because the pe- the folks around the around like the Houston Chronicle, uh, the folks around the Texas A&M program that cover this, uh, who have been mint saying that the Texas A&M boosters and a lot of the the power brokers around the Aggies have been eyeing Jimbo Fisher since even September. Now we're starting to see in later in the game. Even some Florida State media is starting to believe that there will be a significant offer placed in front of Fisher, and it does not seem like this situation is being handled like we had with two rounds, two rounds of LSU. Barton, I am of the mindset right now that Jimbo might do this. The the buzz on the Florida State side is that he's he's – He's gonna go. That's I think I think that that tells you everything you need to know, right? Right. I I mean that's it's shocking to me, um, but this is real, and this is one of those deals where hey man, like if if you don't if you don't get on your horse here, Chip, and get this podcast out, then by the time someone listens to this, he's either de- you know declined the offer and and gotten a raise at FSU, or or he may already be in in uh, College Station. But I, I do think that this is this is real, and um. Like, to me, like this is this is the personification of Nebraska firing nine win coaches for Bill Callahan and Mike Riley, right? In terms of Jimbo Fisher is is unsatisfied at Florida State, so he's going to go to A and M, the place that hasn't won a conference championship <laughs> since nineteen. 19- 1998 and the place that hasn't won a national championship since the 30s and they and they like expect national championships right and you have to go play uh nick saban and and you know lsu every year and 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 gus malzahn at auburn and dog the last the the last and only time that happened he knocked your quarterback out for the year and sent your season spiraling downward right right. (laughs) you Uh, sure you want to run that back jimbo okay okay so if if you know um Jimbo Fisher is is Nebraska and, and uh, State College or College Station is you know Bill Callahan and Mike Riley because this is it, it's it's I don't get it but so to, to me that means like there's something on a personal level like whether he's you know I know that there's sort of some some personal issues there locally I, you know I I know that there you know he's he's divorced and and uh, you know who knows what goes into this decision. Um, and certainly they're going to pay him serious bank, but I don't get it. And holy cow, what about that SEC West if Jimbo Fisher does go? Because you do you do expect that that's that's going to give A and M a little jolt, um, and there's going to be some real battles in that division. And man, it would be like I kind of respect it from A and M side. Like if they're going to swing for the fences, like point out and call their shot, and then you know, take it yard on the first swing. Like that's, that's pretty, that's pretty strong. I guess if they, if they get, if they they pull this thing off, that's pretty strong. So, um, yes, Jimbo Fisher divorced his two sons, one of which, uh, battles 
Falcone Almenia, I believe, uh, a rare blood disorder. Um, you know, that his ties to some of the hospitals, the Kids First Fund is the name of uh, the foundation uh, that he and his wife, ex-wife Candy, started to uh, raise money and awareness for F.A. Um, Houston does have tremendous uh, medical facilities. Uh, yeah. And the Houston area would be able to um, provide that in a way that like maybe only a handful of other areas in the country could. Good so, note. Yeah. Yeah. So if you start, you know, as you're starting to check this off and if, and if you're, you're starting to see that, you know, according to um, the Texas A&M belief, according to the Houston Chronicle, Texas A&M believes that uh, his, his family would be willing and open-minded to making that move, both not only Jimbo, but his ex-wife and both sons. I, I think that Wes Durham of the ACC Network, a good pal of mine, uh, somebody who is plugged in but isn't always going to be reporting everything, but I, I generally... I generally trust his read and he pointed out that there have been many times in college football's sort of history that when uh, a head coach is really being challenged to fire some of his friends, he's just up and left. And if Florida state's trying to make Jimbo uh, make some decisions that he's not prepared to do, and if maybe, you know, you mentioned some of that as well, and, you know, he's had on-camera contentious relationship with the fan base, and you've been there for 10 years, you know? I mean, some of that was as the offensive coordinator and head coach and waiting behind Bobby Bowden, but I I remember those last couple years with Bobby Bowden as being very, uh, very tense. Like, it was it was a, a tense situation uh, at the end of the Bowden tenure. You know, obviously Jimbo Fisher comes in, wins the ACC championship, eventually wins a national championship. But if Jimbo Fisher, somebody who's coached at a lot of places is in his career, feels like this is the end of a chapter and he's looking at Texas A&M and, you know, it, it checks some of those off-field boxes, then, uh, you know, maybe he's looking around and he's saying, you know what, it's time. It's time to go. Like, I, if, if I'm starting to wonder, and I have wondered this a lot since yesterday, um, you know, what does this say more about Jimbo Fisher or Florida state? And I think it says more about Jimbo Fisher, not in a bad way, but just in a a way that he views coaching in college football, uh, not from the myopic standpoint of, you know, one job, but like even bear Bryant was at Texas A&M in Alabama. You know, the idea that even Nick Saban was at LSU in Alabama, you know, there, there are multiple stops and there are multiple chapters in the legacy of a hall of fame coach not everybody can be Bobby Bowden, and you especially can't be Bobby Bowden at Florida State. Yeah, and I, I think it doesn't – this doesn't if, – if this move happens, I don't think it somehow stains the Florida State job. I think that still remains one of the best jobs in college football. And, um, you know, the Jimbo Fisher's decision to leave if it happens wouldn't change that. Um, and I think it'd be a obvious, easy – move if that happens i think that's another reason why florida state may not be you know super intent about uh, you know and gonna just sort of hold on for dear life here because i think if if jimbo leaves i think it's a one phone call i think willie taggart leaves oregon and comes to florida state and i think that's a pretty good hire yeah that's a pretty good hire i think he'd be pretty successful there that's and is and that's uh and that's it open shut case johnson 
That's like I like, think the I think the uh, the Florida State I think uh, Knowles two four seven may not get a whole lot of a uh, uh, bunch of subscriptions off that coaching search. I think I think that's going to be a um, one week get the get the ducks in a row and, and announce Willie Taggart. Wow, is there any uh, other? That's a, I yeah, mean, that's that's a that's a that's a that's a projection. That's a guess, but I, I, it just makes so much sense. Willie Taggart is is obviously trying to get back down to the southeast. And he's going to be now. Who like they may pull out some. You never know when they kind of go off off the radar and you know pull some NFL name out or something. But you know he's one of the hottest names in college football. He's a young coach. He's got South Florida ties um, uh, or, or, or southeastern ties. He wants to be back in the southeast. His name's getting floated for every one of these SEC jobs. Uh, it just makes too much sense. Um, yeah, that's. Uh that that's also a very different change in offensive mentality. If you're uh, if if you're going from super pro style to Willie Taggart, not that Willie Taggart's not pro style. You know, Willie Taggart's uh, certain Willie, Willie Taggart's built off that. Uh, you know, we want to establish the run game first, but he is not afraid to uh, to speed things up a little bit and throw a fifty burger on the board. Hey, uh, maybe after this year, seeing. The way that pro style offense operated, maybe maybe Florida State fans are will be welcoming to a, a little change of pace. That's what I'm. I think that very quickly uh, after after going through a season where Florida State was one of the worst offenses in the country, like a bottom twenty offense in the country with top ten talent. Uh, I think that they're going to start calling up clips of. Uh, Oregon 2017 and South Florida 2016 and really starting to feel good about what the uh, the offensive future could look like. I, but again, we're sitting here talking and Jimbo Fisher hasn't even left for Texas A&M. So right. we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see about that. All right. Uh, so Arkansas is out with Brett Bielma. Kevin Sumlin is a free agent. Arizona State is moved on from Todd Graham. What are you expecting as the next big domino to fall? I mean, other than Florida State, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. You know, I guess it's the Arkansas has become a really weird one to me. I don't know. I think Gus is out. You think? Oh, out at Arkansas. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think he's he's locked in at Auburn. You know, you're they're, they're playing for a national title. Um, that that's it's all out in front of him right now. I think he's out there, but apparently Mike Norvell's out there, which was sort of the obvious play at Arkansas. Um, it's it's that's so tough. I mean, it's look. So you potentially have LSU is LSU, Gus Malzahn playing for a national title at Auburn, Nick Saban at, at Alabama, and then you're getting um, potentially Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M. Who in the hell is going to take that Arkansas job? So Mike Norvell, like Central Arkansas, Arkansas ride or die, might have looked at the SEC West and been like, mm, not now. I'm not sure if it was that side, though. Like it, I think it might have been Arkansas saying, mm, not, not, not now for Mike Norvell. Wow. Which is, that's, that's the weird thing. So I don't um, – it's – so who does that leave? Like it, it, it's – you know, who can they get and who would be interested in that job? It's, it is. I mean, Arkansas's. That's a traditional program. You know, they're a proud program. They've got a great fan support. Facilities are there. Um, you know, they've got a history of success. That's a really weird one. It's 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 a little bit like Tennessee, 
Um, maybe Tennessee's got a, a leg up because they've got that 98 national title, but it's not. I don't think it's a far cry from Tennessee in terms of like trying to balance who can we really get in this job, and and you know who who are we going to be happy with? Right. Um, so I don't know. I, I, that that one is the hardest one for me to call right now among the the ones that are kind of open. Mm. I think I, I think Arizona State and Kevin Sumlin make a ton of sense. I think it makes a ton of sense too. It was like so much sense that everybody was putting it together before Kevin Sumlin had even been fired. Right. <laughs> like Kevin Sumlin slept in for the first morning in years, woke up, kind of was over it, felt like he had known everything that's going to happen. And somebody is already connecting him to Arizona State. Kevin Sumlin's like, what? <laughs> what, am I, what are you, I'm just having breakfast, man. <laughs> what's, what's going on here? Um, yeah. I no. But Arizona State's a weird one. Did you see that their athletic director is saying that he wants Phil Bennett and Billy Napier to remain on staff? And he's also claiming that he wants, you know, the Arizona State to win, you know, Pac-12 South titles. So he's demanding Pac-12 South titles, but he's saying, and he's saying he wants, uh, you know, a big head, big time head coach, but he can't bring in his own coordinators, which is just kind of weird. I, I, I would imagine he's going to fall off of that. Right. I think uh, he's going to fall off of that too. But it's just, uh, it's, it was a, the whole thing is just that Arizona State deal is just a little bit. It's just a little bit weird. I'll tell you what, though. Uh, I, you know, I, I feel like the Pac-12 South has been one of my big, you know, they, they always ask us, like, what is your biggest disappointment of the season? I think the Pac-12 South in general has been a little bit of a disappointment for me uh, just in terms of um, the, like, the fact that Arizona State can have a mostly lackluster season and finish second in the division. Uh, I, I think that now like with UCLA getting Chip Kelly the bar has been raised like I could see Arizona State being like oh okay okay we got to upgrade we we got we need to upgrade now because yeah. otherwise we're going to get left in the dust pretty quickly yeah yeah I wonder if uh you know like if I don't know like I, like I wonder if the if the, the musical chairs are done moving in the Pac-12 South. Like if Kyle Whittingham sniffs out an opportunity somewhere or Mike McIntyre sees what's in front of him and and capitalizes on his good season last year and, and jumps ship. And, and uh, look, and Clay Helton, you know, obviously he's not going anywhere this year, but man, the pressure's on him now. Chip Kelly's kind of coming for you. Oh, you know, boy. USC's been, been just sort of pretty good hanging in there, competing for the you know, Pac-12 titles. Uh, for the last two years, but but they've had some some dips, and all the while UCLA has been down, and you know that's not going to last much longer. If Stanford beats USC in the Pac-12 championship game, and then like USC all of a sudden loses like two in a row to UCLA, that'd be a wrap. Yeah, it's the pressure. Pressure's going to ramp up here for him. Um. All right. Do you want you want you got anything else on coaches? You want you want to switch to uh. <laughs> to the fact that this weekend on the field the top two teams in the country lost yeah i know right let real quick matt luke i thought that was a really good hire that was smart i like it i mean he's i've been sort of waving his flag this year um i i think he's i mean i don't know matt luke personally but i i've never heard a negative thing about him uh, players love him parents love him and 
he really did, I thought, a really good job of, of getting this team heading in the right direction, pulling in the same direction. And, and for him to come out of the, the NCAA issues there pretty clean is, is a credit to him. So I think that's a good hire for Ole Miss, someone to stabilize the program as they go through a, a dark stretch. And, and you know what? If you want to, you know, set him in an AD role or something or, you know, assistant AD role after this, this, <laughs> this period's over and hire somebody else that – a little more sexy than go for it, but I, I think Matt Luke has earned a, a lifetime position at Ole Miss if he wants it. Nice. I like that. Um, we talked about Auburn and Alabama as very much being equals. I thought that in Jordan-Hare Stadium, we saw two teams that were equals where one just really played poorly. Like, is, 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 it, is it bad that I felt like the Iron Bowl had a simplistic football explanation? Because Alabama could not convert on third down. Their offense uh, could not get the running game established outside of Jalen Hurts. And defensively, uh, you know, it is unreasonable to expect the defense to be on the field for that many snaps against an Auburn offense that's playing as well as it is and be able to just go win you the game. I'd. I don't want to make an excuse for Alabama, so this is not what this is, but I'd love to see that game on a neutral site. Ooh. Um, so you're going atmosphere was a big part of it. It is. It's a huge part of it. And that's no that, that takes nothing away from Auburn because that you know, they took advantage of the atmosphere and, and really it was I don't know that the game was ever I mean, it was in doubt certainly in the first half, but I mean I think that they controlled the game. And I just I kept feeling like all right here here's here we go like here here's where Bama hits the gas like here here's where this is gonna like finally turn and Alabama's gonna make its move and it never happened. No, and and it's I, haven't we kind of been like that a little bit all year with Alabama where God man they got so many dudes on offense and wow man they're just one slant route away from an eighty yard touchdown and man wait wait till Najee Harris gets loose and. And, and it just – it seems to – they're just not quite there on offense. It's just not quite as explosive as you want it to be. Um, I'll say this. I, I don't know why they don't feed Damian Harris the rock a little bit more. Like, I don't know if that's a little bit of, of Joe Fan, but, man, he's the best. He's their best player on offense. And I think they get a little bit in their, in their Jalen Hurts – world a little bit where they want him to be the guy and uh sometimes i just want him to go pound the rock and i know that's a lot easier said than done against especially against auburn yeah because i i didn't feel like even in the few attempts that jacobs and harris got i i didn't feel like they were opening up big holes no no i just you know that that, uh, i think it's it's the challenge for alabama is when you have all these talented guys like you you sort of where is your identity? And, and I think that they've – it's hard to – you know, w- when Alabama needs to play, obviously it's Jalen Hurts. Um, but I think Auburn like, has a little bit clearer sense of who they are offensively. And it's, that's weird to say considering how sort of inept they looked at, at, at varying points of the season. But at this point, I think Auburn has a better sense of themselves offensively than Alabama does. And, uh, I, I, you know, I think Alabama – has got to find that. Like they've and and they they've got to they got to decide whether they want to pound people into the dirt or they want to run around them and and, and throw over them. And I, I think they've got to sort of 
they're they're they're, they're toeing that line. They're 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 and I. I'd like to see them sort of take one stance or the other. Do you think that this Alabama team, if given a chance, could pull it together and go win the national championship in the playoff? Yeah, I do. Wow. Especially because there's just, I mean, who's, who's that much better than anybody else? That's all right. That's true. I'll give you that. But I will say that um, I felt like looking at Alabama and this is so, oh my God, I, I'm going to hate these words as they come out of my mouth. But like, I was looking at the I was looking at Alabama and Jordan Hare and I was like, that's not a championship team. Yeah. Clemson looks like a championship team this weekend. Oklahoma has looked like a championship team for a couple weeks. Um Auburn looked like a championship team. I I didn't you, we we weren't saying that Oklahoma looked like a championship team against Oklahoma State when they it, gave up fifty two or whatever. Ah, uh, I, I, I put. I, I put mean, we were excited bit. about the, their offense, but we, I, I, we had this conversation, and maybe it was just me. Maybe I'm just talking about me. But I was saying, ah, man, that 52 point spot is that's a tough, that's tough for me to swallow if you're going to go win a national title. But then they turned around one week later and just dominated the game against TCU. Yeah, I think that. I, mean, I, I agree. Like Oklahoma was number one in my rankings, and and what that turned into CBS this week. I'm just saying, I don't see any one team without flaws this year and honestly that team the best team I, I want to see what what Auburn does against Georgia in the SEC championship game neutral sites oh, Jordan Hare crowds not behind them if they if they win that game by 16 points then they're my they're, they're the favorite to me does Ohio State look like a championship team to you no I'm still not there with them are you mm, I don't know not really. I mean, I think that's a tough atmosphere, and, and I think that was a tough, tough game. You, you knew Michigan was going to get be game, but ultimately they had, you know, they're ultimately playing with John O'Corn. Urban and, Meyer tried to start a controversy, and it ended up being the fifth biggest controversy of the weekend. <laughs> Bad week for Urban to try to raise hell about a cameraman. About a cameraman. <laughs> Listen, bro. Like after after everything that happened Sunday, no one wants to hear about your thoughts on media access on the field. <laughs> like, come on. I I still I I kind of think I don't know what I, don't, I haven't seen the line yet, but I I kind of lean Wisconsin beat winning in that Big Ten championship game. I saw it opened at six, and I'm I'm taking Wisconsin plus six. Absolutely. Yeah. I uh we'll we'll see. I mean, you've been calling Dwayne Haskins all season. He came in. He like they were down when he checked into the game, and he led them to a win. So what if he goes all Cardell Jones and just and and they just blow it open here? I, with, I uh, I'm entertaining that possibility. I mean, they kept absolutely the kid gloves on him in that it. in that game though. I mean, he they clearly were not trying to let let the reins loose on on Dwayne Haskins. They were protecting him. Running the football, gave him some opportunities, but that I'll be curious what the play calling looks like if it is in fact Dwayne Haskins and you know this week, um, you know how how much rope they give him. I mean, his third and thirteen throw to Austin Mack saved the game because big time throw. That throw it was twenty to fourteen, late third quarter. That throw led to a touchdown about a minute and a half later, um, and then and then they just the doors broke, and I I think that. Uh, I am absolutely entertaining the possibility in my mind that Dwayne Haskins is going to go all Cardale Jones, and then it's going to be a two-loss 
Big Ten champion Ohio State against a one-loss Alabama for the final spot in the college football playoff. All right. How about it? Who, who should it be? Ohio State. Oh, man, I don't know. Where Where's the win? Where I mean, at Mississippi State. It's the best win. Well, I mean, what about LSU? LSU's turned into a really good team. Okay, that's a good good point. So, all right, let's compare. Alabama, pull up the Ohio State schedule. Alabama's got the LSU win at home by 14 points. The Mississippi State win on the road. Uh, and that's it. Truly, that's it. And and they've got Auburn on the road, which they lost by a couple scores. What are Ohio State's resume builders? Penn State, um, Michigan State, both at home, and then uh, an undefeated Wisconsin team in this scenario in the Big Ten Championship. And so that's one one additional win, and and yet they also have. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna penalize them for the Oklahoma loss because because Alabama doesn't have a an opportunity like that. But I do think you have to penalize them for the Iowa loss. Iowa has turned out to be a, just a, you know, kind of a top 50 team and they blew those guys out. Yeah. They absolutely boat raced them. And I, I think, and look, Alabama, there's, you know, is, is Texas A&M like who's better? Iowa or Texas A&M. I think that's a, that's kind of a push. And you know, I think I was, Iowa and Ole Miss isn't a, a huge difference. I think the committee's ranking of Penn State and Michigan State, regardless of what you think they are as teams, I think the fact that those two teams are going to be in the top 15, in the top 20 of the college football final college football playoff <laughs> rankings, and the fact that that head-to-head against Wisconsin, the way that this playoff committee has been ranking teams and factoring head-to-head into their rankings, kind of has me thinking that with Wisconsin likely being in the top four, then Wisconsin would drop one spot behind Ohio State. And so therefore, Ohio State, by getting that win against Wisconsin and sliding one spot above the Badgers, or at least one spot above the Badgers, I think that that gives them a better shot of getting into the top four than, say, Alabama, which I do think will be number five in the playoff rankings this week. Yeah, but they would just re-rack them. Like I don't think that like I think we've seen they just re-rack them right and and they so it's not a matter of like okay Alabama Ohio State beats Wisconsin so they just move them up of Wisconsin push Wisconsin down push Bama down like I I think it's just like they take a look at things that week and they re-rack it and do you think they re-rack it every week or do you think that they re-rack it uh, because they build think, they build it from the bottom up like that you know they take them in groups and then they slot them and then they sort of keep keep working their way up to the top and I just think that if you play that game. You're going to end up at the end of the but, day splitting hairs with not just the fact that the Wisconsin win was for the Big Ten championship, but the fact that the Wisconsin win was a win against an undefeated team on a neutral field. Okay, so let's look at it from this perspective then. If if Auburn this week is is going to be ranked, what two? Um, I you know they're going to be ranked pretty high, I would imagine. They they might be one. I mean, who they might, knows? They might be one. And if regardless of that, if they beat Georgia next week then they are going to be number one. And you're going to be looking at Alabama, whose only loss is to the number one team in the country on the road. You know, Quality with, uh, loss. That is, a committee loves a quality loss. They love a quality loss. <laughs> I, I just, I still think, 
I mean, it's going to be great because it's two blue bloods that, you know, the committee is going to either consciously or subconsciously won in the playoffs and someone's going to be out. And so I, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be, uh, interesting. Uh, someone was, one of my buddies was, uh, throwing a scenario at me about the, a possibility of three sec teams <laughs> in the playoffs. I don't think this is, this is feasible, but bear with me. So, okay. Ohio state beats Wisconsin. TCU beats Oklahoma. So then you got Auburn beats Georgia. So then you got Georgia, whose only two losses are the number one team in the country. Alabama, whose only loss is the number one team in the country. And then the ACC champion, uh, you know, maybe uh, <laughs> maybe Clemson and the three SEC teams in the in the college football playoffs. No way. <laughs> I'm not believing it. I don't. I mean, Georgia would be out in that scenario, but. I, you know, it's uh, it's it's fun to think about that this thing could get, you know, this this get, could get pretty interesting. I uh, and again, you know, that all of it moot if Wisconsin takes care of business. So right, we'll see. Right. Um. Where? All right. So as we uh look at um, let, let's look at Miami real quickly. I I feel like the bubble has burst. Do you see Miami rallying back from this, beating Clemson, and getting out here and making a run in the college football playoff? Well, you know what was weird was the the Malik Rozier pull, um, where they he put in he pulled Brian Malik Sheriffs. Rozier, put in Sheriffs uh, late in the game. I mean, I didn't I, look Malik Rozier wouldn't have his break his best game, but he wasn't it wasn't terrible, was he? And Sheriffs was was pretty bad when he came in. Um, that to me was strange to me because, like you, you okay, you're about to lose this game, but every, everything's still in front of you. Are you really going to shake this dude's confidence at this point? Like if you pull him in the second quarter, that's one thing. But now Malik Rozier has to come back in the in the ACC championship game, having just gotten pulled for the first time all year in the what fourth quarter was it? And it was it was like nine minutes left, and it was still a two score game. And then I think Rozier came back in. Yeah, but still, like, it just shakes your confidence a little bit. I, I'm not super worried about Miami because I, I just think that they're a big, t- big game team. I think that they're going to get up in the for the atmosphere and down for the atmosphere, and that was a spot that was just they were right for the picking. I, I think Clemson's probably better than Miami, and they probably win, but I, I think Miami still goes into that game with the ability to. Uh, to play themselves into the playoffs. I think Miami's offensive limitations, which have been there all year, are going to end up being the downfall, as they were against Pitt. Like, you don't have Chris Herndon, uh, the really good tight end uh, matchup problem, ruled out for the season. He went down with an injury. Like, you're you're basically the, – the Miami offense right now um, is you just kind of – plug away with Homer and hope that you get a seam opened up and you just throw jump balls to guys like Amon Richards and Jeff Thomas and hope that they make plays. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like there's uh it doesn't seem like there's any consistency to the Miami offense. Yeah. Um, like their best wins were wins where like the Notre Dame game, I think like two touchdowns came on drives that were set up by turnovers inside the 20. Like there's, there is faced with charging 80 yards down the field against Clemson's defense. I just don't think there's enough explosive plays for Miami to win that game. 
yeah, I mean, you're, you're probably. I, I agree. Like, I don't. I don't think they'll win. But I think I still think that they've got enough juice to hey, if they turn Kelly Bryant over a couple times, they've got big playability. Um, you know, if Amon Rich, Amon Richards gets loose, Travis Homer, you know, breaks a big one, what have you. Like, there's still there's avenues for wins here, and there's avenues for them to get in. But yeah, I'm with you. Like, I think. You face an Auburn, you face a Clemson, you face a Wisconsin level defense. I think that they're going to have a. I think they're going to have a hard time. Agreed. Um, <laughs> anything, anything else you want to make sure we get on record? I mean, we're still obviously we've got a full week of shows to look ahead to the conference championship and continue to break down college football playoff angles. Uh, anything else you want to make sure we hit on? Um, I want to to advertise myself, market myself as a. Uh, QB consultants around the country. I can just go in and just make sure you're not being an idiot. Uh, <laughs> and make sure you're not playing someone that's obviously worse than your backup. Is this a Stanford? Sure is this a Stanford this. reference? KJ Costello should have been playing from week one, and we were saying that week one. And now they go out and they blow out Notre Dame. And granted, there were some turnovers and things that helped that. But uh, KJ Costello is good. And he's getting better every week, and they probably would be, you know, eleven and one right now or something if they are playing him from the jump. And so it happens all over the place. I could have, I could have saved Jim McElwain's job this year. I could have gotten David Shaw a couple extra wins. Just let me go in there, sight unseen, or or or, or just like with with no prior knowledge, and let me watch these guys scrimmage, and I'll tell you who's better. Just. Stop thinking it. I don't want to sit in the meeting room. I don't want to. Hear, I don't want to know, you know, whether they they're not uh, vocal enough. I don't want to know if they, you know, are uh, don't make eye contact with you or or aren't picking up the offense quick enough. Just if it's not if it's not picking up quick enough, simplify it. Brandon Peters just sent Wilton Spate packing. Wilton Spate's, Spate's taking a grad transfer because Brandon Peters is clearly better than him, and I could have told you that week one. Uh, I'm just I like this. Coaches overthinking this quarterback stuff is driving me crazy. You can find Barton at Barton Simmons <laughs> to contact him for all of his quarterback consulting uh, activities. Uh, I I like it. I mean, this is this this is uh, this is something that we can really work on uh, in terms of setting up setting up you making some tours. I think uh, so. Like, no, but see, here's the, the thing: is I don't even want to get into the guts of the program. I want to get. I want to see from the thirty thousand foot view so that I don't get bogged down in the details and minutiae that steers these coaches wrong. I just want to look at it from, all right, I knew these guys in high school. Okay, uh, give me your spring game tape. That's okay, what I'm saying. Let's, let's send you to all the different spring practices or spring games, there you go. and right. you just come Deal. back You come back with a list. <laughs> my, flash, my flash judgment on who should be the quarterback. Michigan, Brandon Deal. Peters, Stanford, K.J. Costello, and just run through every team. <laughs> I like it's not it. that hard. It's not that hard. Uh, he is Barton Simmons. You can follow him at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Uh, I am going to try and turn this around, hopefully, before Jimbo Fisher leaves Florida State and Willie Taggart goes to Florida State. So um, we'll see. Barton, thank you very much. All right.